The design and selection of lower limb prosthetic devices is currently hampered by a shortage of evidence to drive the choice of prosthetic foot parameters. In conventional prosthetic foot prescription, patients are evaluated and the prosthetic feet are selected primarily by subjective means through observations and patient interviews, assessing current abilities and goals, as well as previous life experience and prosthesis usage. Imagine though a novel empirical approach in which prostheses could be designed, specified, and provided based on individualized measurements of the benefits provided by candidate feet. Evidence could include patient-specific subjective and or objective measures. Such a process, if validated, could be used clinically before prescription to drive evidence-based and individualized prosthetic foot prescriptions. Hi everyone, I'd like to welcome you to episode 12 of ONP Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetists. I'm Dr. Steve Gard, Editor-in-Chief for the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. My guest today is Dr. Josh Caputo, PhD, who has a background as a multidisciplinary engineer focused on robotics with degrees in mechanical engineering and electrical and computer engineering from Carnegie Mellon University. He discovered the field of prosthetics and orthotics and developed a passion for wearable technology in 2010 within the Experimental Biomechatronics Laboratory directed by Dr. Steve Collins. Dr. Caputo's early work in the field was focused on the study of powered push-off in prosthetic foot and ankle devices and optimizing the magnitude and timing of push-off. Gradually, he became focused on clinical translation, developing methods for optimizing device function that could be used within the clinic. Today, we will be discussing a recent article that Dr. Caputo published in JPO entitled, Robotic emulation of candidate prosthetic foot designs may enable efficient, evidence-based, and individualized prescriptions. This article details two pilot studies that were the final chapters of Dr. Caputo's PhD thesis. To help put this work into a broader context, these studies have laid the groundwork for several large-scale and multi-site clinical trials, which are now ongoing. In 2015, Dr. Caputo founded Humotech to support these clinical trials, to commercialize what is known as the prosthetic foot emulator, and to support research and development efforts across the field with their wearable robotics platform known as Caplex. Today, the platform is in use in trailblazing projects across North America and Europe. Ultimately, Dr. Caputo's dream is to see the field expand dramatically in size and innovativeness so that anyone, anywhere can realize their mobility goals. Welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thank you, Steve. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited about having you on the podcast because you've developed some very innovative technology for evaluating uh, individuals for prosthetic feet, which we're going to be getting into. So I'd like to start out just by asking you, why does this topic interest you? Well, you gave a nice intro to this just a moment ago, but I'll kind of give a more personal version. I've always, you know, since my earliest memories, been obsessed with understanding how machines work. And I've also been a very active individual. My passions are hiking and camping and mountain biking and the thought of, you know, someone losing the ability to do activities that they love to do really motivates me to try and develop a useful wearable machine technology. 
So what was the motivation for this particular study that you published in JPO? So as you alluded to earlier, we had been doing work trying to better understand powered push-off and come up with ideas for how that could be implemented in products. But I began to realize that you know, the needs of individuals with lower limb amputation are quite nuanced. You know, a foot that delivers powered push-off turns out is not the ideal foot for everybody. So rather than focusing on a particular function of prosthetic feet, I started to think more about the methods by which prosthetic feet were designed and prescribed. And this came from both the results of our early studies, very factually, we were finding that individuals responded differently. But then, you know, this hit me also at, a, at an emotional level. I was having conversations with patients and clinicians. And though I'm an engineer, I like to think I'm also pretty empathetic. So I uh, started to realize that to put the patient in the driver's seat of the design process would be really powerful. And I like the sound of that. And that makes a lot of sense for a field like P&O. So what was the purpose of your study in this uh, JPO article? So as you described earlier, you know, there's really two studies uh, within this one publication. The overall purpose was to demonstrate that such personalized approaches are possible. And the difference between the two studies is that one is focused on this concept of emulation. So can we use a robotic platform like this to mimic the behavior of commercially available products? And with such a platform, can individuals with lower limb amputation quickly and effectively test drive different options? In the second study, the motivation is very similar, but here we're taking a different approach where the clinician and patient work together to iterate on different design parameters. So rather than being constrained by you know, what is necessarily available currently in the prosthetic catalog, now the clinician patient are directly sort of tuning the knobs of device function. Either approach could work in a clinic and there are pros and cons of both, but we really wanted to show that you know this is not a one trick pony. There's many different ways of exploring possibilities and individualizing prescriptions. And so what were your hypotheses or expectations for these two different studies? Well, we had faith in the work that we were doing and believed that, yes, this would be possible, but we also expected to run into limitations with the study. You know, these are pilot studies where we were collecting data on a relatively limited patient sample, relatively small n, and so we caveat the piece by saying that, you know, these, these results are not necessarily generalizable across the entire population. But also, there's a lot of technical complexity in how this emulation and this, this kind of patient-in-the-loop design is done. We made a lot of decisions early on about, you know, how to design the machine and how to program it that were based on our best guess of a good approach that would be realistic. But this is not a validation study. We're not proving here that the device is perfectly replicating uh, other products. 
So really, the point was to lay the groundwork to get people excited about these kinds of approaches. And, uh, you know, if the results were positive, then conduct larger scale trials, uh, like you alluded to earlier. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Now, as we start to get into the methods, Josh, I think it'd be useful for the listeners if you could describe what is the prosthetic foot emulator? What does it do and how does it function? Good question. We might have a few listeners that are scratching their head because emulator is not really a commonly used word uh, in ONP, uh, but hopefully it's becoming more common. So really the word emulator comes from, was inspired by uh, my passion for something totally different, old computer systems and video games. So you could play Mario Kart from N64 on your, uh, your desktop PC. So that, that's the root of emulator, if anyone's wondering. So yeah, it's a wearable robotic platform. In this case, you know, we're talking about prosthetic feet, but uh, it could also be an AFO or a hip exoskeleton. We have a really wide vision for different kinds of emulators. But again, prosthetic foot emulator, it interfaces with the body like a conventional prosthesis. So there's a pylon, there's a pyramid adapter, and the fitting process is really almost identical to a standard prosthetic foot. But what makes this different is that the foot is attached via flexible tether to offboard actuation and control components. And these powerful motors and computers can provide a wide variety of mechanical behaviors at the foot and ankle. So on one step, the foot can be very stiff, and on the next foot, it can be very flexible. On one step, the foot can have no power. On the subsequent step, the foot can have three times biological normal foot and ankle push-off power. So we can make very wide changes in foot mechanics very quickly at the click of a button. I just want to make it very clear for the sake of the listeners that what you're referring to as a prosthetic foot looks very different from a conventional prosthetic foot, but yet it's programmable on the fly. And so you can change these properties so that it simulates any number of different kinds of prosthetic feet. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And good point. If you look at a photo of the prosthetic foot emulator and you're used to looking at prosthetic feet, uh, it is quite different, even though the interface is quite similar. So the emulator is typically worn unshod without a shoe because we can well, emulate the mechanics of the shoe as well. And the visual features of the, the foot are driven by our goals to emulate this very wide range of behaviors. It's sort of function over form. You know, we're not mimicking visually prosthetic feet. We're not mimicking biological feet. We're really focused on how do we apply varying sort of ground reaction forces at different places in the stride? And how do we do that with great precision and flexibility? Very nice. So what were the experimental protocols that you utilized for these two studies? Sure. I'll give you a high-level overview of that. And if you want details, the piece goes into quite a bit of detail. And you can always contact me if you want to know even more. Uh, it's quite a, a rich series of experiments. But at a high level, 
in the first study that I mentioned, where our focus is on test driving different commercially available feet, we developed emulation profiles for four types of feet, one being the satch foot, one being a mode we called dynamic elastic and return. It was sort of an average of multiple different products. Then there was a, a mode we called biome, which roughly emulates the behavior of the, the powered ankle now known as Empower in sort of medium settings. Again, we're taking an average across different patients wearing the biome foot. And then finally, we created this mode called high pow or high power, which just sort of, it's sort of a theoretical powered ankle that provides extraordinary uh, levels of push off. Because uh, again, I came from this background of really being curious about powered push-off and really wanting to see how certain individuals could take advantage of that power. So we developed those emulation modes, uh, and those were based on motion capture and inverse dynamics data from previously published work. So patients walked in all of those different feet and uh, for several minutes, and we collected a, a whole bunch of different outcomes which maybe we'll get into in, in the results section, but we measured how much push-off work, we measured metabolic rate, heart rate, the maximum speed uh, under each mode for each patient, as well as something we called the ease of walking score, which was sort of a subjective overall assessment from the patient about how they felt about the different modes. In the second study, again, this was less focused on specific foot models, and more focused on specific mechanical properties, which in the study we called alignment, stiffness, and shape. There's some nuance here, but alignment is more or less what you would think, changing the sagittal plane rotational alignment of the foot, whereas stiffness uh, refers to the sort of overall stiffness of the foot. And then shape is kind of an interesting parameter where without changing alignment or total stiffness, you can sort of adjust how the foot deflects throughout stance. Some people may have heard of roller over shape. This is not quite the same as rollover shape, but it's related to that idea that there's multiple ways of getting from point A to point B. So in this part of the study, we actually had a certified prosthetist at the controls of the system fine-tuning these parameters while a patient walked and feedback was exchanged between patient and prosthetist to determine the best settings. And then we performed a validation where we actually followed like a, a structured search through the different settings. And we validated, did the patient and prosthetist working together find the settings that actually are the best settings from a subjective perspective? So that's a little bit complicated. I hope I explained it all well. And again, much more detail uh, in the piece. Yeah, I agree. No, I think you did a, a great job describing that at a very high level. And as you mentioned, if people are interested in more detail, you do provide those details in the paper. So how many research participants did you end up enrolling in these studies and what were their characteristics? Yeah, so the study populations in the st two studies were similar, though not exactly the same. We had six subjects in each study. These are patients that we recruited from local clinics. The only screening 
criteria really worth noting, I think, are body weight in the early days. This was a pretty limiting constraint, if I'm being honest. Uh, Just the first emulator was limited in its structural kind of rigidity. So we were recruiting under a certain body weight. And, you know, the subjects have to be able to walk on a treadmill. And in these study designs, those could be fairly long walking periods, several minutes. So that, again, turns out to be a pretty limiting constraint. So I caveat all of this because I take inclusion in these studies very seriously, and we've really worked hard to expand the range of accepted patients in future work. So in our more recent studies, which I shouldn't spend too much time on, we've expanded the the body weight limit, the, the emulator's more robust now, and we're looking at designing methods that don't require so much walking. I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but I think it's interesting. There's a trade-off between the time you spend walking with the emulator, because more time is helpful. You get to do more exploration. You can try more options. You can kind of perfect settings uh, and really making sure you get a good read on what's working well for the patient. But on the other hand, more walking can be tiring, even exhausting. And that trade-off, you know, is is both scientific and sort of realistic or, or clinical. And ultimately, I think is going to vary how much time you spend is going to vary based on the goals of the experiment or the trial. So sorry for the tangent, but I hope that was interesting. Yes, it was. Thank you for sharing that. So what were the primary findings from your investigation? So in the first study... As we expected, the sort of optimal foot varied across participants. But what was really interesting was just how nuanced this is. So within a given subject, the optimal foot varied based on the outcome measure and also based on the walking conditions. I glossed over this earlier, but we had the subjects walk both on a level treadmill and an inclined treadmill. And sometimes these variations were unintuitive. And, you know, you could say perhaps this is due to study limitations, you know, the patients didn't spend enough time or we didn't collect enough samples. But this is a real challenge in the clinic where things are even less structured and you have even less time. So I found this to be pretty profound because your intuition about what will be most suitable for the individual turns out was often wrong. I could give some examples. I mean, it's best to to go into the look at figure five, uh, which painstakingly illuminates all of the detail, but some trends emerged. And, and, and these are not statistically significant trends. They're just, it, it appears that, you know, patients tended to prefer modes with more power when going uphill. That seems logical. But then there are other trends that don't make as much sense especially in the the early days of my research, I was really quite focused on metabolic rate as an outcome measure, really focused on developing technologies that quote unquote, make it easier to walk. But we found in this study that subjects didn't always prefer the settings that resulted in the lowest metabolic rate. And that really made me scratch my head. In the second study, the data are different. We're focused entirely on subjective outcomes. And honestly, the second study came after the first study. 
So in the second study, I was kind of wrestling with this reality, this this inconsistency between objective scientific measures and subjective patient reported measures. And I, I really wanted to focus on the subjective in this study. And here I was pleasantly surprised to find how intuitive the process of optimizing settings was for both patient and clinician. There was relatively little training here. The certified prosthetist came in, was briefed on how the system worked, basically given a graphical user interface where those three settings I mentioned earlier could be adjusted up or down and very quickly took to the system and was able to find the settings in, in just a couple of minutes that were most preferred for the patient. This study, I can give a little bit more background because this was not the first iteration of the protocol. I did a lot of pilot testing. For example, in the beginning, I was the person at the controls. I was working with the patients and trying to perfect the settings. And I realized in doing this just how hard of a job processists have because interpreting the feedback from the subjects was sometimes extremely difficult for me in ways that I couldn't even really understand. So we made the switch to having the uh, certified processists uh, do that interpretation. And this just worked so much better. This was really just a, a fun aside but we ran a version of the protocol where the subject themselves was adjusting the settings. We actually gave them a Xbox controller. And while they walked, they were able to, to tune the settings. This is an idea I'm still very excited about, but it turned out to be really hard to implement well. One, because it's complicated for the subject. They have to think about the mechanics of the foot and adjust it with a controller and answer questions. It was very overwhelming. But I tell you this because, um, yeah, my, my dream really is this idea of putting the patient in the driver's seat. But clearly it needs to be a team effort between the patients and the clinicians and the technology developers to really figure out how to optimize prescription. Yeah, this is a very intriguing problem to address. I mean, because Prosthetists and patient work together currently, but it's really the prosthetist who makes all of the adjustments. So uh, you're suggesting involving the patient more, I mean, because it's the patient who perceives what's going on with his prosthesis, but involving them more in fine-tuning some of these settings, which has tremendous potential, of course. Yeah, and I think how this looks in the clinic will vary based on clinic, based on prosthetists, based on patient. Some patients are very good at reporting very precisely, you know, what is going on with the foot and what they would like to change. And maybe it's just easier for them to sort of, quote unquote, be in control. But other folks have, have a great deal of difficulty either interpreting or communicating what's going on with the foot. I mean, that's, that's fine too. We need an approach that kind of works for everybody. And in this study, we left that up to the clinician. And so the clinician intuitively understood, okay, for this subject, I can lean pretty heavily on their thoughts and their recommendations. But for this other subject, you know, we need to have more of a conversation. 
and there are maybe some caveats to what they are saying uh, about the foot. So I, as the engineer, uh, like I said earlier, found this overwhelming. <laughs> I, I, I had a hard time knowing how to interpret the information. But I think for a prosthetist, this is what they do every day. And the emulator is just a different tool or a different platform and a very capable one for exploring these kinds of questions. So I know a lot of listeners are, are going to be interested in kind of the clinical implications of this work. And you've already started touching on that a little bit. But I wonder, in your mind, Josh, what are the main clinical takeaways and how can your results be applied to clinical practice? Thanks. Yeah, this is a good question. So I don't want to be too bold in my claims because, like I said earlier, you know, the, the work has limitations. But I think, well, on one hand, there are some sort of pure research outcomes here that are interesting. For example, what I was saying earlier that, you know, the optimal foot for a given individual varies based on outcome, varies based on walking, running, uphill, downhill, stairs, or whatnot. You know, I think most clinicians have an intuitive understanding of this already, but I think it's valuable to have put clear data out there to support this. And so that is in reference to the first study. In reference to the second study, I was skeptical that, you know, this sort of human in the loop, as I like to call it, optimization of device settings could work in this very clinically relevant way in that I'm relying entirely uh, on the intuitive thought processes of the clinician, but the proof is in the pudding. And there's other work in this domain where computer algorithms are being used to optimize the settings. And I think it's currently unclear what the best approach is whether it's an algorithm or a human, and among the algorithms, what kinds of algorithms, and among the, the humans, what sort of skills do they need and what sort of protocol they should follow. But this, to me, demonstrates that prosthetists are surprisingly, perhaps, good at this. And we need to do more research to try and understand the thought process the evaluation criteria and the, the sort of search methods that are intuitive to prosthetists. At least that would be interesting to me. You know, we live in an era where everybody's talking about AI and machine learning as being the solution to all of our problems. I mean, I think those are certainly powerful approaches, but I wonder what the sort of perfect balance of you know, human skill and intuition with technological methods might be. Uh, and I, I think likely there's a blend of AI and human intuition that will result in, in sort of the best optimization. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yes. I like your, uh, your response. And I agree. I think this is a rich area for exploration. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what new ideas develop over the next few years. Yeah, if we have any listeners out there that are particularly interested about this topic, I'd love to talk to you. In the first study, we have had really good fortune and gracious funders and really helpful collaborators that have taken the work really to the next stage. We are now running studies similar to uh, study one, 
on a very large scale across multiple sites. And, uh, you know, you may have seen a presentation of that work at, at one of the AAOP or AOPA conferences over the past couple of years. But the second study, I haven't quite figured out where to take it yet. I think it's a little bit more futuristic because if you really fine tune the, the function of the foot, you, I think, find yourself wanting to build a foot that doesn't exist currently. And so there is a real barrier there to clinical translation. I think some of us are excited about the future of technologies like 3D printing. And you could imagine someday that a a foot could be 3D printed in a day, but we're definitely not there yet. We haven't figured out the methods nor the technologies to produce a foot in that manner. So this is this second study is 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 really challenging in that way. As we start wrapping things up here, Josh, I always like to ask guests, is there any funding that you'd like to acknowledge that was used for conducting this study? Yeah, thank you, Steve. So this work was supported both by the National Institutes of Health and the National Science Foundation through two grants to support my PhD work while I was at Carnegie Mellon. Very nice. Thank you for acknowledging those. So we've come to the end of our podcast. So I'd like to thank Dr. Caputo for sharing his insights and discussing his research with us today. I'd like to remind everyone that if you would like additional information on this project, you can access the full article about this study in the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of ONP Research Insights presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetics. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for ONP professionals. ONP Clinical Insiders, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care, and ONP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our industry. Please plan to join us again next month for the Academy's ONP Research Insights podcast when we'll be hosting another author and discussing their recent JPO article.